Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. So today is the first of three sermons on the topic of generosity. Uh, In other words, we're talking about the relationship between the money, the resources that God blesses you with, and also then the relationship that you have with your church in giving to help us accomplish the mission God's given us. I think I'd be right in saying that sometimes churches and pastors might get a little nervous or maybe even on edge when it comes to the topic of generosity. I think we've all had bad experiences maybe with the topic of generosity. I mean, for one, we've all seen the, the, the TV preachers on television, you know, they're weeping a little bit and they're crying and they're saying, please send us in your love offering uh, so that we don't go off the air, which really means we want to buy another mansion and maybe even a plane. We've all seen that and we know what's behind it. Uh, maybe you've had a bad experience with churches that only talk about money all the time. Uh, it's just all that they talk about. And maybe uh, you've even been guilted into giving. Uh, a family member of mine in the church that she grew up in a long time ago, uh, they actually printed in their uh, weekly announcements who gave what. <laughs> And uh, she grew up in a rather poor family, so it was a pretty, uh, pretty guilt-ridden experience. Not a great experience with the church that she belonged to. Um, but I have to admit that I'm really excited about this sermon series because generosity is one of those things that's at the heart of the Bible. I mean, think of John 3.16, for example. Uh, we all know that verse. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave, right? I mean, if it just stopped with, for God so loved, and he never gave, we wouldn't know his love. God so loved the world that he did something. He gave. In fact, he gave everything. He gave the gift of his son. And so we've titled uh, this series, Generous God, Generous Church, because our God is a generous God. A God who gives and who gives grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. And so it is the natural thing for us to do as Christians to mimic the generosity of God by being generous in return. In fact, I would say it is a mark of a true Christian to be generous. And if somebody is a Christian and not generous, uh, something's off. We're missing something. We're not understanding something. So, once again, I hope that you are on the edge of your seats for this sermon series. Uh, My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will create within you a sense of joy, excitement, and unity in our congregation around this topic of generosity, that it's something that we are genuinely excited about and eager to hear about. Because when God's people are excited about generosity... When we're truly a generous church, when all of us in the congregation are generous together, that is when the work of God's kingdom gets done and we get to see things unfold in front of us that are really amazing. And let me say this, if you're not excited about this series, if you're kind of doing the eye roll, maybe the interior eye roll, and you're saying, oh great, here we go, it's going to be three weeks on money, I'm going to check out, 
or maybe you're a little bit guarded, I want you to do a little bit of a heart check and, and ask yourself, what's behind my attitude? What's behind that guardedness? Is this from the Holy Spirit? Um, why might I be feeling this way? Could it even be that maybe this topic of money is an idol in my life? Uh, because whenever our idols are threatened, whether it be money or anything else, we get a little defensive, right? And so I want you to think, what is behind that uh, uneasiness or maybe edginess that I have in my heart? So, I promise, no gimmicks, no pleas, no guilt trips, no pledge cards, just God's word. Uh, we're going to dig in the Bible and see what God says. And I promise that as we do this, you will be challenged, but you'll also be deeply comforted. And if we have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to believe, I believe that we will become more generous. Now, the topic of generosity is all over the Bible. In fact, you can't read the Bible and miss the topic of generosity. But for our purposes these next few weeks, I've chosen to focus on two specific chapters. And these are 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, once again on page 967. Now, before I go ahead and read these nine verses from chapter 8, I want to give you a little bit of background on what's going on here in the letter because nothing I say is going to make much sense unless we know what Paul's talking about, what the background is. So what's going on here in these chapters is that Paul was gathering contributions for some of the churches uh, in Jerusalem. So the church in Jerusalem was suffering right now. It was a persecuted church on the one hand, and on the other hand, the saints in Jerusalem had experienced a severe famine. So not only were they picked on, they were also poor. Uh, so Paul has a lot of, of compassion and care in his heart for this uh, mother church, the church where it all started. And so he goes around to the churches that he had founded among the Gentiles. These are the churches in Asia Minor, the churches in Greece, uh, in Macedonia, and Achaia, as they're called. And, and uh, he's trying to raise money for a generous gift that then would be given to the saints in Jerusalem. It's like a relief effort for them. It's like when we on the news see that there's a really uh, bad hurricane uh, somewhere in the States, and then we all pool our money and we send it. That's really what Paul was doing. And, and, and there's, a, there's a reason for this. Paul wants to strengthen the relationship between these two groups that in history did not get along very well. In fact, who were divided. That would be the Gentiles, the non-Jewish nations, and also the Jewish church. Now, how is Paul going to get this done? Well, as Paul writes this letter, this second letter to the Corinthians, um, he uh, has been told previously by the Corinthians that they would help in this effort. They had pledged their support, but they were kind of lagging in the follow-through. They said, yeah, we'll do it, but it was kind of crickets up to that point. Paul really didn't have any assurance that they were going to follow through with their words. Uh, and if you read the, last, the rest of the, the letter, you'd see that Paul's relationship status with the, second Corinth, uh, the Corinthians was complicated for sure. Uh, they had had some bumpy uh, stuff happen in their relationship. So rather than commanding the Corinthians to give or shaming them into giving or pleading with them, he instead goes ahead and he tells a story about how God's grace had opened the hearts of other Christians to give generously and not out of their prosperity like the Corinthians, 
but instead these Christians had given out of their poverty. So with that backstory in mind, let's go ahead and hear God's word together. Chapter 8, verse 1 through 9. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. By the way, if you've got your own Bible and you want to underline something, underline the word grace or favor. It comes up multiple times. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they, the Macedonians, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor, or the grace, of taking part in the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to ask you uh, this question as we continue. Have, have you ever been the recipient of what I'd call over-the-top generosity, just radical, profuse, extreme generosity, surprising generosity? Have you ever been the recipient of somebody you know, giving you just a gift that you would have never expected, that you could have never earned? I've had that happen to me a few times in my life. I'll give you just a couple examples. Uh, when I was in high school, I was hanging out with some friends way on the other side of Omaha, about 30, miles or so, uh, 30 minutes or so away from my house. It was around midnight, uh, time to go home. Uh, so I got in my car and started uh, towards the interstate on-ramp. And before I got there, I realized that the low fuel light that had been on <laughs> for quite a while uh, needed attending to. And I realized, I thought, you know, I don't think I have enough gas to get home, but I also don't think I have enough gas to get back to my friend's house. But there's a gas station right here. So I stopped to get gas, pulled out my wallet, and it was nothing but receipts. And I did not have a debit card, and nobody trusted me with a credit card at that age. Uh, so what was I going to do? So kind of sheepishly, I got on the phone, and I called my friend's dad, and I said, hey, uh, I'm at the gas station. I don't have any money. Uh, I don't know what to do. He said, I'll be there in a few minutes. So he comes over, uh, meets me there, uh, sitting there all alone at the gas station. Uh, and he goes ahead and he fills up my entire gas tank. Um, you know, as he did that, I felt really embarrassed. I thought, oh, you don't have to do this. It's okay. I'll call my dad, I guess. Um, he filled up my entire gas tank. And, and, and after thanking him profusely, I said, when I see you again, I'm going to pay you back. I'll give you a $20 bill. He said, are you kidding me? Forget about it. He said, this is my gift to you. Just go home and be safe. 
Now, for him, that wasn't really that big of a deal. It didn't really hurt him financially. Uh, he was probably doing okay financially. Uh, but for me, it was a huge deal. For me, trying to save up for college a little bit with my part-time $5.15 an hour job, uh, it was a big deal. And I remembered that. It was over-the-top generosity from my perspective. Or there was another time uh, shortly after uh, Kelly and I moved to Connecticut uh, for my first call. Um, we were approached by a couple that we had only met once, and they insisted on giving us tickets to the Boston Red Sox. Uh, we'd never been to a Red Sox game. We thought, hey, that's great. Uh, really, really thankful. We're like, wow, you don't have to do that. Uh, so we uh, got in the car, uh, took the train then up to Fenway, uh, and it was only as we sat in those seats, three rows back from the, the third base dugout <laughs> uh, at one of the most beautiful ballparks in America. And then we looked at the price on the ticket that we realized how generous this couple had been. And they barely even knew us. We felt super humbled, super thankful. That was over-the-top generosity, extravagant grace. Like I said, I'm sure that all of you have had the experience of over-the-top generosity. And I'm sure that you felt a certain sense of indebtedness, a feeling of I owe you. I'd also say that generally speaking, when we receive over-the-top generosity, it's usually from somebody who uh, has plenty to give, somebody who isn't hurting financially. But can you imagine any of these stories that I told you if the giver was not giving out of their abundance, but instead they were giving out of their deep need? What if the man who filled up my gas tank late that night wasn't somebody who was well invested in the stock market who would later enjoy a comfortable retirement with really no financial problems? But what if the person who insisted on filling up my gas tank was a single mother on food stamps, driving a 1980s Chevy Lumina with a donut tire, two hungry kids in the back seat, how would that make this different? How would that generosity make me feel if she, in her need, insisted on bailing me out? And what if, you know, if I insisted on not taking her money, but she still insisted on filling up my gas tank up to the point that she put the money in my hand and walked away and said, we'll see you later. Wouldn't that make me feel obligated to spend those precious dollars as a gift, a precious gift I'd never asked for? How would that make me feel? Or what if those Red Sox tickets were not given by a well-to-do couple, but instead they were given by a person who saved up for them when they could barely afford health insurance and the electrical bill, but still insisted on giving them even after five or ten minutes of saying no, it's okay, I don't need that. You need it more than me. How might I value that gift differently? How might you feel if you had a gift like that in your hands? Now, if you can imagine that feeling, then you can begin to imagine and understand what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As I mentioned before, Paul is collecting offerings for the struggling, hurting church in Jerusalem. 
Like I said, they had experienced a famine and persecution, and Paul wanted to strengthen the relationship between the Gentile churches and the Jewish church. And so he goes around to the churches that he had founded, and he encourages them to to set aside a gift, a generous gift, that would then be given to the church in Jerusalem. Now, the financially well-to-do Corinthians had given their word that they were going to participate in this effort. But apparently, they had lost their original enthusiasm. In other words, they made the pledge, but they didn't follow through with it. And so Paul, instead of guilting or prodding them into giving, Paul tells them a story about how God's grace had led some poor, persecuted churches down the road to show over-the-top generosity to other poor, persecuted Christians that they had never met. In Jerusalem. So look with me at verse 1. Paul says this, he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So just a little bit of historical context here. Who are the churches in Macedonia? You actually know them because they're in your Bible. Uh, They are uh, the church of Philippi, where we get the Philippians, and then also the church of uh, Thessalonica, where we get 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Also the church of Berea. We don't have a letter uh, to the Bereans. Uh, If there was one, we don't have it. Uh, These are the churches that we hear about in Acts chapter 16 and 17, right before the founding of the Corinthian church in Acts 18. Now we know from Acts 16 and 17 that these churches faced persecution, deep persecution. And what we learn from Paul in our text today is that they were poor. In fact, they were dirt poor. Now they weren't, uh, I'm not sure I can afford coffee at Starbucks poor, but rather, they were, we may need to skip a couple meals this week, poor. And yet Paul shows that their generosity was over the top in, in spite of the fact that they were living in dire poverty. I would say that if their giving were a math equation, it would look like this. So for the Macedonians, their giving was this. Severe tests of affliction, persecution, Plus, extreme poverty equals a wealth of generosity. That's kind of counterintuitive, right? Those don't seem like prime giving circumstances. Uh, Their generosity is surprising, and that is why Paul shares the story of the Macedonian church's generosity, their surprising generosity with the Corinthians because the Corinthians were not persecuted. And as far as we can tell, they were not hurting financially. In fact, Corinth was a very prosperous city. Rather, they were lagging in generosity. In other words, uh, while the Corinthians had circumstances that made generosity more likely, their giving equation looked like this. So for the Corinthians, no affliction plus enough money equals lethargic generosity. So the -the over-the-top generosity of the Macedonians who were living in abject poverty was a call to the wealthy, at-peace Corinthians to reconsider their own practice of generosity 
And I would say that if we have ears to hear, that it's also a call for us as well. The Macedonians were very much like the widow in Mark 13 that we heard about in the children's message who put in those two small copper coins, all she had to live on. So the question is, would the Corinthians give in the same way out of their abundance, out of their enough? The question for us is the same. Will we at Holy Cross? Let's move on to verses 3 and 4. Paul goes on and he says, uh, by the way, this is where the story gets even more surprising. He says, for they gave according to their, the mean, their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor or the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. <clears throat> so I want you to think with me back to those stories that I told earlier about generosity If somebody living in poverty insisted on filling up your gas tank or buying Red Sox tickets, wouldn't you do everything you could in your power to convince them to not do it? I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have a long conversation saying, you know what, I I can, like in my case, I would have said, you know what, I can just call my dad. He might be a little grumpy about it, but, you know, he'll get up out of bed. He'll he'll come and bail me out. I might have to wait a half an hour, uh, but... I can do it. Or with the Red Sox tickets, you know, wouldn't you say, hey, you know, thank you so much, but I think that, that you need this money more than me, so please, please don't. Thank you for your generosity. I'll watch the game on TV. I think that we would all do this. And we get the hint here in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that he had a similar conversation with the Macedonian churches. The fact that they had to beg him to be part of this relief effort shows that Paul may have been begging them to hold on to their money because he knew that while they were giving to their local church to support their uh, workers in the ministry, he knew that after that they were stretched far too thin, that they were persecuted, that they were barely making ends meet. And yet they still begged him to be part of this generous offering to the saints in Jerusalem, to Christians they'd never even meant, even if it stretched them thin. I mean, let's, let's feel this, right? Isn't this amazing? Just amazing, surprising generosity. But isn't it also true that sometimes churches come to the end of the year and they're in the red with their budget, they're behind, and often they have to beg the congregation to step up their giving so that they can keep the lights on and pay the bills and do the work of ministry. I don't know if that's the normal habit here at Holy Cross because I haven't been here long enough, but in previous churches I've been a part of, that's usually the way it works. But what would it look like if the members of churches begged for the privilege of being generous. What would that look like? Instead of the church asking, can you please be generous, what if Christians were tracking down their church leaders and saying, how can we be generous? What are the needs that need to be met? What are the things that we want to do in ministry that we can't right now because we don't have enough? How can we participate? Wouldn't you say that would be a miracle? 
It would be, but it would be the same exact miracle that God worked in the hearts of the Macedonians, who during a severe test of affliction and out of extreme dirt-poor poverty, begged Paul for the privilege of giving to the suffering saints in Jerusalem. Now, how in the world are such miracles possible? How does God create that kind of over-the-top generosity? What would motivate that kind of giving when all the factors don't support it? Maybe guilt? No. I don't think that's the answer, not even close. Nothing in the text even hints that Paul guilted the Macedonians into giving at all. In fact, I think the opposite happened. Rather, I would say that this miracle of generosity took place because of another greater miracle, and that is the greatest miracle of all, that is their conversion. You see, the Macedonians had heard the good news of a generous God a generous God who gives even at his own expense, a God who gave his son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself so that you and I and they could have limitless access to forgiveness and life. And when the Macedonians heard that message, it changed their heart. They were converted. They were regenerated. They were born again. They were brought from darkness and into light. They were adopted and made God's children. They were forgiven. They were converted. This is the miracle that led to the smaller miracle of their generosity. This is why Paul says in the text that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the offering of the saints in Jerusalem. You see, they knew that Jesus had given himself for them, and so they gave themselves to the Lord. And since they had given themselves to the Lord, the question of giving was a no-brainer for them. It's just what they did as Christians. Now, we may think that the generosity of the Macedonians is surprising, and yes, it is. But I'd also go on to say that their generosity, surprising as it is, is not as surprising as the generosity that inspired their giving and that should inspire ours. Look with me at verse 9. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Do you see it? Do you see what's going on here? The eternal Son of God had everything. He was rich in glory at the Father's side, but he saw you in the poverty of sin and death and looming hell, and he set aside his riches. He was born of a virgin. He patiently labored for 33 years of life, and his life ended empty-handed, naked, and poor on a cross, and he did that for you, for me, to make us rich forever. And when you see that, when you understand this, when you trust this, when this kind of generosity gets into your bloodstream, into your heart, it is simply impossible to not be generous. The question is no longer, how much do I have to give? But instead, how much can I give? Because Jesus gave everything so that I can have everything, which is another way of saying grace. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. So what could get the Corinthians to follow through and be generous? Once again, is it going to be guilt? Nope. Paul doesn't use guilt. Paul never commands them. He never shames them. Just grace. Just hearts melted by God's rich generosity in Christ. And so also for us, what will move Holy Cross to a place of healthy, consistent generosity, even in the midst of a year like 2020? What will move us to a place of healthy, consistent generosity, a generosity not practiced by a few or some or most, but by every single member? Will it be guilt? Will it be pressure or hype or pleas from the pulpit? No. We don't want money motivated by guilt and pressure because that is a tainted sacrifice that God will not honor or reward. In fact, please keep that money. But it will be grace, God's kindness, God's generosity, because that can open up your heart to be more generous. You see, the more we experience God's generous grace in Christ, the more our giving equation will look like this, a cross-centered generosity equation. Is my great need plus God's rich grace equals my rich generosity? That's what giving looks like as we stand at the foot of the cross and behold what God has done for us. Which leads to another equation, the effect of our generosity. My generosity plus the work of my church equals others experiencing this same grace. But we'll save that for another sermon. Amen.